Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why do you cut me off? I can keep doing this. Okay. I'm I'm Kaveh. I'm Lizzie. Oh, Lizzie, buddy. What are we again? We're a podcast and we talk about some medical stuff, sometimes not medical stuff. Is that correct? True. Okay. Uh, Another question for you. Yeah. What is cold and delicious and wonderful and something we're going to talk about right now? I think it's not beer. That's true. It is cold and delicious. But what's cold but really delicious? Because is beer really delicious or did we learn to love it? Yeah, it's an acquired taste. I agree. You're right. Um, What you're getting at is ice cream. And I think that everyone agrees that that's delicious from day one. Yes. I mean, everyone's into ice cream. And we're going to talk about ice cream. You know why we're going to talk about ice cream? Because you got some free ice cream. Well, not just that, but because, you know, during the quarantine, I've been doing my part to uh, create jobs. I'm a job creator. By, by eating, <laughs> by eating <a> ice cream. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm trying to support my local economy by trying as many different local San Francisco ice creameries uh, as possible. And I think I've done a pretty good job at this point. So I kind of wanted to talk to you about what I feel are the best ice creams and come up with a definitive list of the top three ice creams in San Francisco that are specific to, you know, locally here in San Francisco. So are you ready for this? I am, but I'm going to say I'm going to post a photo or have you post a photo of my freezer, which has probably six to eight different little pints of ice cream because throughout 
all the last couple of years, anything I've hosted, mostly outdoor events and, um, you know, pod, little pod events, people bring ice cream. And apparently Tyler and I do not eat that much ice cream. So we just accumulate it. I like it in the moment. I just never, I don't crave it, especially in San Francisco. It's not like we rarely get like those 90 degree humid hot days. So I've been accumulating them. So I know all the local ice cream places. Let me ask you this. What is your, in general, favorite flavor of ice cream? I would probably reach for like a mint chip or a salted caramel. Those God, are like- You are chip- like a 90-year-old Jewish lady okay. at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Always been. Always has been. Always will be. I'm not a chocolate person. I would take vanilla any day over chocolate. Chocolate can go fuck itself. That was very controversial. That's a hot take. No, I, I think it's great. We need some of that controversy on the show. That's I good know. stuff. I know. Um, I, I also agree. I will not enjoy like straight up chocolate. There's like that part of my brain that just, I don't, some people just love like a piece yeah. of chocolate. That just, I can't, I won't do it. For no, you need a little like touch of peanut butter or something. Right. I don't like straight up chocolate. Just can't. Like a chocolate bar does nothing for me. How are you on cookies and cream? I like, I mean, honestly, most ice creams I'm good with. There's some weird stuff. Someone once brought like a Thanksgiving ice cream to work and it was like a turkey umami Mm. meaty Mm. thing. And I'm like, this tastes delicious, but I still want to puke. You know, like there are things that you can do that are fucked up with ice cream. It's just, the point is a lot. I mean, uh, for me, I'm not a purist or anything, but you know, there, there's certain things that are lost on me. Like uh, I love coffee and I love ice cream, but coffee flavored ice cream just makes me mad. I agree. Like, doesn't work for me. Yeah. What's the point? If I no, wanted I coffee, I'd be drinking a nice warm, hot, hot. Cup of right. coffee. Oh my God. You should probably, let's try to nuke mocha ice cream and see if we like it. Like oh, make it hot. Tastes good. Let's That's try a great it. idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, so what's your top three list in San Francisco? I uh, I have a love hate with Mitchell's. I love the ice cream, but I mm-hmm. my car got broken into in that parking lot, so it's mm-hmm. hard for me to actually mm-hmm. enjoy mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's definitely a good one. Then there's Smitten, there's mm-hmm. Byright, and then there's that one in the Ferry Building, um, Humphrey Slocum, which has like these funky flavors that you know. There's so many. There's so many good ones. I have to say, I'm not an aficionado, so I would definitely defer to you if you're like really trying Ready. to eat ice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're trying to eat the ice cream to like help sur- San Francisco survive, and I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And we we thank you. Yeah. So no, why don't you tell doing, us? We're all doing our part. I know. Yeah. It's just that I'm doing more than most. Yeah. Um. And I, I'll I'll rate them to you. There's so many good options, and I know we're gonna get people like saying, well, "What about blank?" But you know, here is my list, and my list is right. Uh. At number three on the list is It's It. Now, you probably didn't see that one coming, but It's It, the sandwich with like the two oatmeal cookies and like the usually vanilla, but it can also be mint or it can be chocolate, covered in like a chocolate coating. It's like a classic old school San Francisco treat. They don't have them in many other places. It's like, I think the inventor of the ice cream sandwich, I don't Mm. know if anyone's ever done it before that. That solid, like great memories, and I, I hope my kids will have those great memories too of that. So yeah. that makes it for nostalgia purposes. Okay. I've never heard of it. <laughs> Number two is Mitchell's. Mitchell's ice cream. If you're in San Francisco, guys, check out Mitchell's ice cream. It's so good. Super creamy. And their cookies and cream is, I think, probably the best cookies and cream I've ever had. Okay. Now, just edging them out is Buy Right Creamery. And Buy Right Creamery wins for a couple of reasons. One, because they sent us free ice cream. Nailed it. 
And as doctors, the reason we don't take pens from pharmaceutical companies is because we can clearly be influenced. And that's what happened here. A hundred percent. But to be fair, their ice cream is super delicious. And it's like all locally sourced. It's like organic whenever possible. It's really interesting. They do your classic stuff and they use seasonal ingredients for like fun, like hip stuff. Yeah. So we, they, get, they sent us a couple of pints. So the salted which, caramel was yummy. It was my favorite. Right I like the Earl Grey T1. I didn't really like the maple. So the Earl Grey T1 was a lot better than it had any right to be. Because why would you? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm gonna hate this, and I really liked it. Yeah, it's not bad, right? Um, yeah. The other one, like the maple oat crunch, that's a like a non-dairy one. Pretty good for non-dairy though. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I didn't but like it. Yeah, that salted caramel, so good too that you didn't get to try because mm. <gasps> I didn't get them to you. You didn't give them to me. No, because one's called orange cardamom, which like, again, I'm like a straightforward cookies and cream, simple flavor kind of guy. And I didn't think I would like it, but it was delicious, delicious, smoothie, light huh. creamy. Oh, all I that wish stuff. you had saved me some. Thanks. I'm sorry. I, there, there's still some. I got some for you. Whatever. And then there's chocolate with gutaud chocolate. I don't know what gutaud chocolate is. You sound so, like you're trying to not say retard. Gutaud. <laughs> gutaud. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so good. Um, thank you, Byright Creamery, for that uh, deliciousness. You probably would have made at least top two anyways, but you clearly took home the gold because you sent us free ice cream. Let that be a lesson for you people out there. Right. Send us free stuff and we will right. show for you. House of Pod, if you want if you want our love, just give us oh, free shit. It was really good, though. Anyway, speaking of really good, we have a guest. We have Mary Roach. She is one of our favorite authors. Is she not? She is. I love her. I'm very excited to have her back. Um as always, follow us on Twitter at The House of Pod. And if you haven't already, please leave a review for us at iTunes if you're so inclined to write things through the internet. Um, and thank you to Nadim for helping get these episodes out to everyone. Anyone else you want to thank, Lizzie? Never. Stay tuned. And welcome back. Today, we are very excited to have back on the show with us, Mary Roach. She writes the best, in my estimation, science books around. They're the most fun. Last time you were on, we talked about uh, writing about subjects that are taboo. We talked about your, your books that range from cadavers to the GI system to the science of war. First off, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Oh, and, my pleasure. <laughs> and tell us, uh, you know, how have you been in this last crazy 12 months since we last spoke to you? Yeah, you know, a little bored. A little bored. I miss, <laughs> I miss reporting and traveling. Um, the timing was pretty good for me in that um, I wasn't in the research phase of a book. I was kind of finishing it up and doing all the loose end stuff. And uh, so that was easy to do from home. So I got lucky in that sense. Uh, and I've been healthy. And so has my husband and my family. Uh, so, uh, you know, I can't, I can't complain. <laughs> you can well, always complain. You can. We you welcome can it here, complain. especially on our show. Being a writer who, you know, focuses on science 
do you find it tempting to write about COVID or are you fighting that temptation to write a book about COVID or are you just thinking at this point it's going to be covered by different people? Is there an angle that you would take to write about it? Uh, no, I, 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 I'm not tempted to write about COVID be, partly because you know me, I'm, COVID is kind of so serious and so huge and so important. Mary Roach isn't the person you call for that. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I, I would I would love to hear your take on it. I'm the bottom feeder. You know, I'm I'm the one covering the stuff nobody else wants to cover. I I, I mean, there's so many books on COVID. I'm right now reading uh, a galley for a book. Um, you know, a galley proof. Sure. For a book of, um, about the history and future of quarantine, which is so interesting. It's by Nicola Twilly or Twiley, a New Yorker writer. Uh, and the book is coming. I mean, she's been, they've been working, she, she and her husband writing it together and they've been working on it for like seven years and it just happens to be coming out right. like in, in a few months, which, you know, is excellent timing well, that, for the topic, but uh, just a really interesting, fascinating angle on it. Like that, you know, they, they found a sort of a way into it that touches on a lot of aspects of COVID and on, uh, you know, and pandemic, but they found their own take on it. Well, that's an interesting thing that you say, like bottom feeder. I don't, and you know, that you're not so serious. I, I think that's not true. That's very sweet and self-deprecating of you to say, but I think it's, um, your books have, do have humor and do have lightheartedness. And that's why they make science so readable and so fun. And I also, I don't, would you agree that some of your stuff also has like a historical perspective and we're, we're in COVID and, you know, with COVID there is no history yet. <laughs> so maybe in five years, you'll give us a great tale of kind of the, the tale of COVID. Yeah, who, who knows? Uh, you know, I'm also, the other thing with COVID is, uh, uh, or the other thing with uh, my kind of reporting is I, I, I love to be on the scene reporting in the moment. Right. And there's, for, unless it's, a, there are historical chapters in my books, that's, that's true, all of them. But uh, I really enjoy being in the scene talking with people, seeing what they're doing. And of course with COVID, I can't, A, I can't travel, B, it's not safe. So um, the, 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 I, you probably won't see a COVID book. Mm -hmm. let, let me ask <laughs> so There'll you. be lots of other books on COVID, but probably not one for me. <laughs> yeah. So there's other books about COVID. I never understood how people can get books out so quickly because I know like, for example, when you're writing a book and we talked to Jen Gunter when she writes books and we, we have authors on, they spend years working on these books. So like when these books are coming out on COVID, like now, or even earlier than this, like I always assume that it's impossible that they can be useful. I just don't see how they could. I mean, is, is that sort of looked down upon in the, the world of, of authors? I mean, like how are these, are these guys generally all, I mean, I'm sure you don't want to say anything ill of your fellow authors, but like it's, kind of a hack move, right? Because how can you write a book about COVID so quickly into it while we're still gathering data on it? Yeah, um, I, it, it is kind of a mystery to me because um, the lead time has gotten, in fact, longer over the years. I mean, it, I, my first book, I think it was a nine month lead time from when I turned it into when it came out. Now it's at least a year. The, the sales people try to get in gear, do pre-sales. I mean, it's happening with such a long lead time. So I don't, I, I, there's some sort of fast track process for, for books that uh, I don't know how they're able to do that. I mean, you, you see things coming out in two or three months and um, I can only imagine that there are people uh, who have the, inf 
have all the info. I don't know. I have no idea. How <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, utterly we would bizarre. Do podcasts on it, and like one week to the next week, things would change dramatically. Right. So I, I don't know how you could write a book that's in any way definitive or helpful on the it, subject. It must be like you know how music has changed so much, and when you read who wrote the songs, it's like twenty people sometimes, and maybe that's how books are now. Maybe these books that are churned out so quickly, maybe it's such a big collaborative effort. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily judging it. it I do think it yeah. probably loses a voice and, and maybe a charm that we all appreciate clearly, yeah. but it has to be a huge collaborative effort, right? Yeah. I, I, I really don't know how it's done. And I can't say that I read many of the books. They're often like a, you know, a tell all on some sort of um, famous person, something that's happening in politics or, or right. celebrity culture that is just cranked out. And I think there are kind of, I think that's where probably some sort of ghostwriter and, and the word hack might. <laughs> but it's also, play. it's a fad too. I mean, I think, I think there's been a hundred books about Trump to your point in the last four years. Like it just, yeah. it's not necessarily possible. I don't know that these are firsthand accounts of, of anything. Yeah. And there's, in, it's interesting. The, um, those books, those, the, the tell all type of book, um, the book that's rushed into print like that um, often is one that can get you into legal hot water. There has to be a, for a book like that, I think a strong sense that we are going to sell so many copies that we will be able to afford the lawyers. Right. Right. The lawsuit. It's, right. worth, uh, it's worth it to us as a publisher to yeah. get, you know, our, the pants suit off of us because so many people are going to buy this book. Just get it out there. It almost sounds like you're joking, but I bet you that's totally. Oh yeah, I'm sure there's super a analysis of, the, of how much it's going to cost them. Yeah, I'm absolutely, sure. yeah. It, it, there yeah. is. I think that is realistically. I mean, I my uh, my books are vetted by uh, a lawyer, and I I believe I believe I heard that from her that 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 that's kind of the way you know the calculus works. So when you're reading like books that come out whether it's about like uh, some politician or some tell-all, how, what do you look for that tells you the author's done their work, their research? I mean, it's easy when I read books that you write like Gulp, for example, about the GI system, it's easy for me to, to check it. And, and, it's, and it's good. And that's why it's one of the reasons why I trust you so much as a writer is because I, I know I double checked it with my own experience and my own knowledge and, and Lizzie's, for example. But when it's a subject that you may not know so much about, how do you, what, what, what do you go through in your mind to, to gauge whether or not the person knows what they're doing? I think it's really hard and I tend to distrust a book, a nonfiction book on a topic, unless I know who the author is and what their background is and that they have some experience and or authority because I know that books aren't fact-checked. I know how many of them are full of uh, just misinformation, not intentional, but just things that, I mean, they, even with a newspaper, uh, there's, there's, there's every story probably has a mistake in it. I mean, the New Yorker has fact checkers, but fact checkers take a long time. It takes a long time to fact check a book. You know, I, I have a fact checker on, on, on my more recent books and, and it's a time consuming process. Anyway, so the, the, the bottom line is I, uh, I mean, if if it's a writer I know, I know their background, and I trust them, then I yeah. then then I I feel pretty comfortable with it. But it's very disconcerting. You read a book, and you stumble onto something that you know is wrong, and then you go like, the whole thing How I just trust read. Anything? Do I 
Yeah. It's <laughs> like, how do I know anything was right in here? So as Kaveh mentioned in the intro, um, you're an expert, as we would say, in like um, all things taboo. Um, you know, the book Gulp is famously about the digestion and, and poop, you know, um, one of mine and Kaveh's favorite topics. You know, um, you talk about sex and war and and rectal cancer. And we talked on our episode with you last a couple of years ago about anal cancer, how we just need to talk about these things, you know? Um, so now if you know, I would consider you an expert in these things, maybe not all things, but in this day and age, is there anything that's still taboo? Is there anything oh, you crave to talk about or that we need to talk about more? Oh, is there anything that we need to talk? I mean, I think that, that we as a culture have gotten a, a lot better at addressing the taboo topics. You know, I, I mean, I think race is a huge taboo and that's been, that's been talked about a lot this past year and, and that's been good, disturbing, but good. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that that is out there. Um, you know, something that just occurred to me that, you know, to tie it back to COVID, because I think we're all, COVID's not yeah. taboo. And I have to say, and I don't want to agree with Trump at all, but like, I think people are so, so saturated, so sick of it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't listen and learn and read. Um, very closely linked to that is, is death. I think we as Americans in particular suck at talking about death. You know, how many consults do you get, Kaveh, who are 90 and a hundred and, and 80 who have terrible, terrible illness. And then we're still talking about doing people call us to do procedures. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's something that I would love to hear if you have a perspective or have you write the next, the next <laughs> book on because yeah. It's, yeah, we're, yeah, we're terrible. Go. We're Free terrible ideas for you here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I absolutely agree with you. The other taboo, I just, I just thought of the taboo, um, Nobody wants to talk about old people. Nobody wants to be an old person, but nobody wants to talk about it. And no, yeah. and, and I don't mean like how to not get old, but just, <laughs> just to talk about the things that happen to the human body as you age. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to experience some of that stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? What is that? You know, it's, it, it just isn't... Uh, uh, and nobody wants to talk about nursing homes, which, you know, there's just got to be a better system for uh, helping people with dealing with dementia and old age and decrepitude. I think we just want to not look at it. We don't want to look at it. I was um, joking with my editor one time that I should do a book called Geezer, which would just, which would be about not like how not to age, but just what the heck is going on with all your body parts. You, you know, you get really old. I would love to read that book, but I don't want you to write it because I just don't think it'll sell because I think you it guys won't. are totally spot on because nobody wants to talk about it. And, no, and Lizzie's no. right. Like we, patients will come or, you know, Lizzie and I will be in the hospital taking care of someone who's very old and very ill. And we'll be talking to the family and the family yeah. will clearly, you know, be addressing these subjects of death, mortality, how the patient wants to be treated, how aggressive they want to be, what kind of things they're willing to put up with and do. They're clearly dealing with it for the first time. You know, maybe they've thought about it in the back of their mind, but they've never verbalized it. They've never right. talked about it amongst themselves as a family. And people just don't want to. They don't want, and I understand it's always why. too late. It's always too always late. Too late. I know. And, and every, every person, it's almost like reinventing the wheel. There's no handbook. There's no totally. people. It's like each person, their parents get old and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, whoa, 
Yeah. What do I do? What are the options here? What should I do? Can I afford that? There's no good options. Um, yeah, my I, when I told my editor I was thinking about it, she goes, Mary, please don't write a book about old people. <laughs> <laughs> See? But won't every old right. person buy it? Is it? Why do you mean no. it won't sell? They won't buy no, it? They're going to be like watching, I don't know, what do old people watch these days? Fox uh, News? No, we all the girls? Watch, what? I don't know what they watch. All the girls? Oh <laughs> no, I think it's like CSI. Oh, like, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Detroit Science or something. Matlock, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> Matlock! <laughs> <laughs> that's what my grandma watched <laughs> um so it's been interesting and frustrating for us to follow the news um because of some of the headlines that you'll see regarding covid um and it, it it's always a, a game i play in my mind when they write a headline like nbc news had a headline recently saying four people in oregon have tested positive for the coronavirus after uh, receiving both doses of the COVID-19 vaccine, which is technically true. But if you keep reading the article, it says clearly that like, you know, that their cases were very mild or asymptomatic completely. And those numbers are compared to the general population really great. Like, and, and it's hidden in the article a little bit, but I find it so frustrating that I play a little game, which is did the editor who put that through not, no, that's how it's coming across and they were just kind of dumb or <laughs> was it just clickbait which i assume is the answer 99 percent mm -hmm. of the time and it kind of drives me crazy and i actually don't have a question i just wanted to say that <laughs> kave's just venting <laughs> to you mary and have, no i i, but I totally please. agree and i also feel i also feel really bad for whoever wrote that piece because i bet you that they were horrified by the headline Whoever wrote the piece right. tried to present it uh, in a balanced way. I mean, I would I would prefer that that kind of that's not really news. It's not in the same way that okay, one out of umpteen million people will have uh, a severe anaphylactic reaction. It's like, right? Yeah. Right. That. Yeah. Any vaccine, not news. Why? Right. It's clickbait. Is but, what it is, and it's but, and it's dangerous clickbait because I I I know personally, I can't even I really five or six people who are hesitant to get the vaccine because I mean I had to have a conversation with my my mother in law and my sister in law, saying, yeah, there is there may be a react there may be you may not feel great the next day but yes you should get the you should get the second shot, um, no it's not going to change your DNA just like. <laughs> where, are you, where are you even reading this? It's, it's a very, it's just very uh, disheartening and frustrating that that's the information people are grabbing right. onto yeah. rather than there's so much good information that's encouraging people to get the vaccine because it's safe. Right. And, and, and let's look at this. Let's do you know, here on one side of the scale. We've got possible death and long-term consequences of COVID. And on the right. other side, we've got a tiny, tiny, tiny chance that you'll have to get a shot of epinephrine. Right. I don't know. Just, <laughs> right. You know, I think the clickbait argument is so is is so complicated, right? Because what if you're a great journalist with a lot of integrity and you wrote a great article? And if you do a clickbait title, more people are going to read it. That's the pitch, right? It's like, you know, Kave and I have both done online dating. Like, you're going to do your pictures where you look amazing and just get the person to sort of like be interested and email you. <laughs> Doesn't mean that's what you look like every day, but... You know, there's there's a clickbait thing. I look great in every picture. I don't know what she's talking about. That's there. adorable. The <laughs> approach I had. Um, yeah, yeah, but the problem is most people don't go beyond the headline anymore. Exactly. 
Sure. No one's reading. Sure. I, and to be honest, to be fair, I'm usually not at this point either with every headline that comes across on COVID. Yeah. I'm not reading every article anymore. That one I read because I'm like, what is this garbage? So in a way, they did get me to read it when I may not have. And I find that very right. frustrating. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I do think journalism, I mean, and maybe you can speak to this, Mary, but is at a crossroads, you know, about all this misinformation and, and publications that are not vetted. You know, you said before you read an article or read a nonfiction book, you you like to know who the author is and what their background is. And this yeah. is a crossroads, not just for journalism, but America and, and the world and, you know, just learning how to vet. And I think that's the biggest important part of like education now for kids is like learning what you yes. know where where to get your truth from and this is like a huge obstacle right now in the world so it's interesting yeah. and terrifying absolutely yeah I, I mean i'm i'm a journalist a writer i mean i i know how to navigate the system and i have a good sense of what i can trust and what i can't but that's not true for that's not true for m most people there i mean most people um i don't know they may get their news a lot of people get their information from Facebook and from yeah. things right. other people are reposting. And right. there's no, there's, you know, you have to constantly go, well, wait a minute, where's this coming from? I mean, my, I've got a, my husband has a cousin who's constantly posting this, just this crazy, you know, she sees it on the internet and then she emails it to everybody on her list and it's just crazy stuff. And my husband and I are like, she's so tired of us because we'll go, if you go on Snopes, here's the link, you'll see. In fact, this is not true. <laughs> and she'll go, yeah, but it's entertaining. Ah. <laughs> well, at least, she's, that's good. at least she's honest. She's like, I'm only into this because it's a salacious story. Yeah. That's it. Okay, so uh, we have listener questions for you. Um, and that's usually I, I only do a couple, but some of these are really good. So let's just start. E-N-V-M-K-T-S, N-V-M-K-T-S, at E-N-V-M-K-T-S. <laughs> Boy, come on, man. That is not catchy at all. Can you work on that <laughs> name, please? Maybe um, it looks cool. Three questions for Mary Roach. Okay, we, we may not have to go through all three, but let's do at least this one. What advice would you have given to your 18-year-old self? Um, back off on the eyeliner. <laughs> Goth, you had a little gothy sort of thing going on? Just, you know, not well executed. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Is this how you figured it would turn out? What you're doing now, I assume. Oh, so. no. It, no. I had now, you know, I had no idea. I'm like, I'm just, I don't know. I went to college. I'll find a job. I don't know, a liberal arts degree. Well, I'm not suited for anything really, but well, I guess I can put words together. So, I mean, I started out as a copy editor. I mean, I, I it, no, I, it's not at all how I had no idea how it would turn out, but I certainly wasn't planning or foreseeing this. And, and the last part of this three-part question is, what's next? Oh, I have a book coming out in, in, in September, and uh, I'll be announcing it in early April with much oh, cool. hoopla. Yeah. But I assume you can't tell us much about it now, huh? Mm, that's correct. <laughs> okay, I won't push you on it. <laughs> um, let's see. i got some more questions here. Uh, people want to know when you're going to do another space book. Uh, here we go. This question is from brandita at brandita 1973 what's your favorite internal organ if reincarnation is real who what do you want to return as and what's the grossest body ailment you've personally had got real personal at the yeah. end there 
these, these are the best questions. Okay, I, I can answer all these three. Okay. Um, the, what's my favorite internal organ? That was the first one? Yeah. Or, okay. It's not which organ do I want to be reincarnated as? No. no. Uh, I like both those questions. Please, yeah. please yeah. answer. Okay. I would, uh, <laughs> um, if I were going to be reincarnated as an organ, I would not want to be, a heart is too much responsibility yeah. and it's too much exercise. I think I would, I think I would probably go for the spleen because it seems, first of all, it's cool to say. Mm-hmm. I'm the yeah, but, but nobody wants to take care of the spleen. The spleen is the, you know, the orphan organ. Nobody wants to claim it. No one in medicine. Can't even describe. I think my boyfriend asked like, what is a spleen? And I'm like, I, I don't know how it? to really explain it that well. So the bag of blood. In, in your body bag of stuff it, it helps sometimes with immune stuff sometimes not immune, yeah immune <laughs> stuff so the liver. Uh, i like the liver, liver. it's very aerodynamic it's really <laughs> boss looking it's, it's the noblest of all the organs it's uh, and, very and, industrious and, i mean it regrows on its own right well i was gonna right. say if you're gonna do reincarnation i think the liver is probably yeah. the most appropriate um, yeah, I don't think they meant what is re- if you're reincarnated, what organ? Like, I think who, yeah, I know. or like what kind of person you uh, want. Yeah, or what? Yeah, who yeah. or what? I think what it said. Yeah, right, right. Um, I kind of like to come back as a flying squirrel because I was just looking at pictures of flying squirrels yesterday. Somebody had tweeted this amazing picture. See, I wouldn't want to be a bird because I want to be able to use my hands. I can't imagine anything more frustrating than using your head to pick things up. But uh, I think it'd be kind of cool to have this option to like, you know, spread out your whatever membrane and fly around. So I'm going to go with flying squirrel. Yeah, I like that too. Something that flies just to change it up a little bit. Exactly. Um, You don't have to answer what is the grossest personal uh, body ailment you've ever had. I'm trying to think of a gross one and and it would be really appropriate for me to have had some really gross things. but I've I had a not- I had a weird infected ear cyst that I think I posted last uh, like oh, a year ago. Nice. It was pretty pretty dope, really oh, nasty. Pretty yeah. crusty. Yeah, it was gross. I had a crusty thing in here. Yeah, yeah. Ear. Super, gross. Super gross. Two years ago now. Jeez, March twenty nineteen. Man. Okay, I yeah. got another one. Uh, this is from Diamond at Diamond, and then there's a lot of numbers. What did? Mary Roach have to edit out of her books for length or because it didn't quite fit the narrative that she really loved and wanted to include? This is a good question. <laughs> okay. Was I, it the part uh, about Lizzie's weird ear thing? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that'll be my next book. Yeah, right. Um, there was a story for, um, it was Bonk. Um, I was in <clears throat> Egypt and I was, which is a book about the study of sexual physiology and and how kind of awkward that is and you know some of it was historical and some was current there's this this physician in Egypt uh, uh, Ahmed Shafiq he's he's, uh, passed on by now but anyway I I was visiting him because he said he studies these reflexes of sexual intercourse I'm like whoa that'd be interesting can you show me any of these reflexes and he's like yeah I I can so I'm like this is gonna be great so I go to visit Ahmed Shafiq um, and I get there and he says I said so you were gonna we were gonna have a demonstration somehow he goes yes I had I had someone lined up but she's not here she's left I don't know where she's went but I have someone else and she and he brought this guy in and he had him like stand up 
on the examining table and he demonstrated, and he took out a pointer and he demonstrated, and you guys will know what this is, the anal wink. <laughs> <laughs> so this poor guy like drops his scrubs and, and like Ahmed Shafiq takes his pointer and he's like in here and he does this little scratch thing and you know the anus winks and I'm like, oh my God, I have to put this in the book. And I do, I put it in the book, the whole scene. Plus the fact that looking at this guy, you know, watching this reminded me, I flashed on those Easter eggs as a kid where you look through the little hole into the little candy egg and you see in the little scene inside with the bunny rabbits. And I wrote this whole thing up and my editor just wrote one word, no. It's <laughs> so interesting. The guy was in scrubs. Was this like a medical student? That would be so tragic. It probably was a medical student. And, oh, and, and later God. in the day when I was leaving, I passed him in the hallway and like he would not look me in the eye. I'm like, he, I don't blame him now. Oh my God. He should have given you the eyeball wink. That would have been a, or apropos <laughs> to the anal wink. That's so interesting that Ahmed Shafiq was like, I'm sorry, the student we had is not here. I have to find someone else. Cause like everybody has the anal wink. It's like a reflex. It's instinctive. Yeah. So, like you don't need to find the special diamond no. in the rough. What he found <laughs> was the one kid who needed that extra credit really bad <laughs> right no totally totally i understand why you wouldn't want to perform the anal wink right but he made it sound the way you're pitching it, he made it sound like it was a unique demonstration <laughs> that he needed to find the perfect specimen it was just like excuse me i need to find any human any warm human <laughs> being out in the hallway that isn't me <laughs> whoever will show me your asshole yeah please yeah. come here Step this all, way. all right okay. one one last question for you um, uh, this comes from Kirsten R. And this is in regard to your book, Stiff, The Curious Life of Cadavers. So uh, the question is, after doing all the research you've done, doing all the studying you've done, which way would you choose to, to go once you die? Cremation or burial, etc.? Yeah, well, I feel that, um, you know what's interesting right here? Do you see this? This is the papers to donate to UCSF. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Haven't yeah. signed them yet, but I have them. <laughs> that makes the um, most sense. Wait, wait. How did you get them? Donate your body to science. Did you request them or did you? Yeah, I requested them because um, I'm doing a, a, an update to Stiff, like a, a, um, an epilogue, basically, and following up. And, and the book talks about the ending. I talk about what I might do or not do. And so I figured I should update that by saying that I'm filling out the papers to donate my remains to UCSF. So that's cool. Um, and really, if you write the book stiff, you kind of have to do that. Right? <laughs> yeah, you have no choice. Yeah, I, I have to say like that, that was really special to me. In, and I'm a clown and I'm a joker. But when I was in, you know, medical school and doing anatomy, and we're working with that body, um, that was nothing but respect for that person who decided to let us do yeah. that. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, that's, stayed with me and it will for the rest of my life. So that's, yeah. it was really huge. I think yeah. um, the professors of the anatomy class are very, for me as well, were very clear about what a, what a privilege and what a, what a, like an honor it was for, for that, to, for us to be able to do that on a cadaver and how gracious somebody would have been to do that. Yeah, like they, I even do, uh, they do a memorial ceremony afterwards yeah. at UCSF. A lot of schools will do yeah. where the right. students, read things they've written and obviously they don't have any remains there at the memorial yeah. but they um it's and i went to one for the book and it was very moving well would, yeah. are you guys would you guys do that having been through it on the other side 
That's fun. I never I haven't actually concretely thought about. I always thought about cremation because being buried in a cemetery seems like a ridiculous use of land, mm. um, and it's like a finite space. And once it's all filled, someone's just gonna like put a building there, you know? Yeah. Like it doesn't. It loses its its value at some point. So cremation always made more sense to me. But donating my body to science is probably. I, I did think about it many years ago, but it hasn't actually come back to my yeah. mind until this conversation. So yeah, yeah it's, it totally makes sense. I'll have to think about it. I'm yeah. torn between that or cremating myself and making everyone drink me as a tea, which I'm <laughs> yeah. leaning towards yeah. right now. Okay. Yeah, I'll consider that. A yeah. A lot of options for the cremains. There was some that, that I came across when I was writing stiff. There was somebody, there was a, uh, a sex worker who had, um, a dildo made for her partner with her cremains in the plastic. Oh, wow. I know. I thought, wow. that's really creative. That's really sweet in a really in interesting a way. really weird hmm. way. Yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I have to, more to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So many options. It's like, it's super, like, do I just donate my body to science or do I make myself into a dildo? This is like, <laughs> these are the questions that we want our listeners to think about. And I appreciate your time, Mary Roach, for making me think about this as well. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Can you just tell people where they can find you if they haven't already? Oh, uh, my books, do you mean? Yes, and yeah. you Twitter too, wherever you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, the books are anywhere you find books, you know, Amazon, Powell's, <clears throat> wherever you're going to buy a book. Um, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter at Mary underscore Roach. Very good. And we'll yep. put links up, obviously, to all those things. Yep. Mary, thank you so much for coming on. Always a blast to talk to you. Oh, it's so great. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. The Persians didn't invent ice cream sandwiches? Listen, I'm surprised too. I mean, look, if I went back far enough, we probably would figure it out that they did. We probably would. We probably would. Okay. All right. But it would be like a weird flavor. It would be like pistachio flavor. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.